This morning, Randy concludes the series from Nehemiah on the building of the wall. The wall, as we will hear from Randy and read in Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 and 43, is complete, and the people are rejoicing. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. And on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing, because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. So glad you're here, and before we get into the message, which is, as Michael said, the conclusion in our series on Nehemiah, I have the great privilege of sharing with you the names of five couples that our shepherds are inviting into a four-week period of spiritual discernment to see if God is leading these men to become shepherds of this congregation. And these couples are Tom and Pat Brenniger, Brad and Ann Buxton, Jim and Rochelle Gooden, David and DJ King, and Merritt and Denise Roberts. And as I said, our shepherds are inviting these couples into a four-week period of spiritual discernment. We feel like God has been guiding us through this process thus far, and we want God to continue to guide us through this process. And so over the next month, these couples will be meeting with our shepherds and their wives to talk about the role of, of an elder or a shepherd, to talk about the role of a shepherd's wife. Obviously, they will be praying together and talking and discussing. These couples will also be meeting with our ministry staff and our support staff to pray together and talk and to fellowship together. And our shepherds have also asked these couples to spend some time reading and studying and, of course, praying on their own to see if God is leading us into this future together with these men in this role. It's an important time in the life of this congregation. If you have some concern about any of these men serving in this role, then in the spirit of Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, please go to them directly and talk to them about it and pray about it. Before you come to the shepherds, go to them directly. We also want you to be involved in this four-week period of, of spiritual discernment by praying. We read in Acts chapter 14 that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in the congregations. And the text says that, that they committed them to the Lord through prayer and fasting. And we want to call the congregation to do the same thing. So will you commit to praying? Pray regularly. Pray daily. Pray weekly for these couples, for our shepherds, for this congregation, for the wisdom of God. We plan to send out some prayer prompts just some very specific things and people that you can pray about throughout this process. We'll email those out or put them on the website or use social media, but we'll make those available. But then as we just read in the text, we also want to fast. And so will you join the leadership of this church family in fasting on Monday, November 26th? Can you think of a better day to fast? than the day after Thanksgiving weekend, right? That's a perfect day to fast. And so if you don't mind, beginning on the night before, around 9 o'clock, fast all throughout the next day until 5 p.m. That's a 20-hour fast. 
Now, if for health reasons you can't fast that length of time or you can't fast from food, then modify it. Fast from something else or make the time shorter. But spend that time in intense, focused prayer for this process, for these people, for this congregation. So over the next four weeks, beginning actually today, we are going to spend this time, a time of spiritual discernment, lifting up this process, these couples, and this congregation to God in prayer. And to begin that, one of our shepherds, Brent Keck, will lead us in prayer on their behalf right now. Brent. So at 8.55 on the 26th, pecan pie. Will you join with me in prayer, please? Father, you are holy. You are fully in control. We rejoice today that you brought these men to us. Today we're asking for continued spiritual discernment of your will for our church, this congregation, these five men and their families. We lift up these men, Tom, Brad, Jim, David, and Merritt, and their wives and their families to you for blessing and peace in this time of great opportunity and spiritual discernment. We believe that they are ready to shepherd us at Edmond. We believe they are called to care and love this flock. Show us and them that they are ready. Show us your will in this matter. May these men find that they are indeed, as we believe, called to this service in spiritual maturity with an outward mindset. May these brothers be humble before you and serve your family here with hearts of goodness and grace. Use these men to lead us to make disciples who believe fully in your promises, who become more like our Lord Jesus, and who belong to you and your church their entire lives. Use these men to feed your flock when we are hungry for your word and heal our wounds when we are hurt and damaged. Grant them courage to lead and comfort when necessary. Grant them wisdom to know the right words and actions to fit each situation. Grant them strength to endure the trials of this calling. Grant them an overwhelming love of all those you created and love. Grant them joy in serving and giving of themselves. Grant them faithfulness and hope in times of pain doubt and hardship. Grant them self-control in times of pressure and stress. Father, grant them a heart of prayer intercession for your church, just like the heart of Jesus. Father, we pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Brent. It's such a joy to serve alongside such loving shepherds who have a profound faith in God and love for other people. It's an exciting time in the life of this church. If you have a Bible, you might open it up to Nehemiah chapter 12. Nehemiah 12. You know, since the mid-19th century, the legal and insurance industries have had a phrase, a very specific phrase to refer to natural disasters, things that happen that seem to be beyond the control or the fault of humans. Things like earthquakes and tsunamis, floods, and tornadoes. Do you know what this phrase is? Acts of God. That's what insurance companies call calamities and disasters that happen in our world, acts of God. 
What does that say about us? That generally the only time we talk about God acting in our world is when something bad happens, when there's a disaster, a calamity. We call it an act of God. That somehow it's God's fault for the trouble in our world. Let me ask you a question. When good things happen in your life, do you give credit to God? Do you acknowledge God? When there are blessings in your life, when things go well, when there is success, do you give glory to God? And if you think about that for a moment and you think about your life, you might be thinking, well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I do, but I'm not sure if I do, or maybe sometimes I do, or I'm afraid to because I don't know if it's God doing it, or it's me doing it, and sometimes it's just we feel like, hey, we've worked hard for our success, right? I mean, I'm successful because I've worked hard, because I've used my talents, my abilities, because I'm not lazy. It reminds me of the story of the farmer. Maybe you've heard the story. This farmer came across a very rough piece of land that was not fruitful at all and he took that land and he began to work that land and he was able to make things grow and flourish on that land and he was so proud of it he invited the preacher to come over and look and the preacher looked at it and he said I've never seen such tall corn praise the Lord for that he looked at the tomatoes and he said those are the the most wonderful tomatoes I've ever seen praise the Lord and he went crop by crop noticing all the wonderful crops that this farmer had grown and every time the preacher said praise the Lord and finally the farmer said wait a second he said I wish you would have seen this piece of property before I came along when it was just up to the Lord (laughs) and I think sometimes we have that same mentality you want me to acknowledge God well I'm working pretty hard myself to get things done to bring success this morning Maybe for the first time ever, I want you to really think about what God is doing in your life. I want you to think about the good things in your life. We so easily dwell on the negative things, the struggles, the pain, the suffering. I want you for a moment to ask yourself, what is God doing in my life? For what am I thankful? What can I praise God for? Because I think when we begin to answer that question, it changes everything for us. It changes how we see ourselves. It changes our priorities. It changes how we view God and his work in our world. It changes everything. God's people in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day had every reason to celebrate. The temple had had been restored. The walls and gates had been rebuilt. There were some social inequities among the people that had been addressed. Things were going well. And although technically they were still in exile, now they were beginning to feel this sense of national pride and identity. I think it would have been very tempting in that moment to turn inward, to say, look at what we have done. Look at our success. Look at this temple. Look at these walls. Look at all that we have done. I wonder if it was especially difficult for Nehemiah. After all, he was the leader of this group. He had led the way for this project, right? It was him. He was the one that approached the the Persian king and got permission to go back and rebuild. It was Nehemiah that had secured the supplies and materials to, to use to rebuild. 
Nehemiah is the one who faced the opposition and confronted the opposition. Nehemiah is the one who put together the plan in place to protect God's people as they built. Nehemiah deserved the credit, right? But so often, when we get the credit, God is overlooked. So often we are looking inward and we forget to look upward. Maybe Nehemiah knew about Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel's day. Maybe he remembered that story. Maybe he remembered that event. Through interpreting his dream, Daniel told this king, this king of Babylon, that you better be careful. That you better be careful about being arrogant and prideful. And sure enough, one day, Nebuchadnezzar was out on the roof of his royal palace, beholding all of the land that he had conquered. And this is what he said, Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Wow. Narcissistic much? (laughs) The next time we hear from Nebuchadnezzar, you know where he is? He is taken from his palace. He is taken from the people. And he is living among the wild animals. And the text says that he is literally eating grass. It doesn't get much lower than that. So Nehemiah knows who deserves the credit. He knows who has been behind this endeavor the whole time. He knows who advised him, who protected him, who provided for him. He knows. And so when it's time to dedicate the newly restored walls around the city of Jerusalem, to whom do you think they are dedicated? To the people of Jerusalem? To the Persian king? To Nehemiah himself? No. To the king of kings. The Lord of lords, Yahweh, God. In our text, chapter 12, verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. You continue to read and you you see this scene of celebration, of pageantry, Nehemiah has Ezra and the other leaders of Judah lead a choir that goes off to the right around the wall. In fact, it's hard to tell exactly from the text, but there's a good chance they marched on top of the wall. And so they go off to the right, and Nehemiah himself joins another choir with the other leaders of Judah. And they take off on top of the wall, or at least next to the wall, going left. And all along the way, they are giving thanks to the Lord praising God for who he is, for what he has done. And as these parades, these companies of praise and thanksgiving make their way joining each other, where do they end up? In the temple, in the house of God, to praise God. Verse 40, the two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, Nehemiah says, together with half the officials as well as the priests. And he goes on to name the priests. And then verse 43. And on that day they offered great sacrifices 
rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. What a journey God's people had been on. They had gone from exile to not having any sense of identity, no sense of purpose, to now all of a sudden being called by God for a very specific purpose. But not just called by God, equipped by God, given what they needed to do the work he called them to do. But there's all kinds of opposition around them, all kinds of threat on their lives even. All kinds of resistance. And that makes some of them afraid on the inside. And so there's conflict on the outside, there's conflict on the inside. You say, how in the world could they manage to get this done? The odds were stacked against them. There's only one explanation. God had to be the one. It had to be God. God had to be doing this in them and through them. And Nehemiah knew it. And so they pause to give glory to God. And when you read this chapter, you will see that everything they did pointed to God. Everything they did pointed to him. They have this ritual cleansing of themselves. Why? So they can approach God. They offer sacrifices. To whom? To God. These choirs of praise and thanksgiving, what's the purpose? To glorify God. Everything was about him. Many scholars think that Psalm 147 actually was written for this occasion. Let me read just a couple of excerpts. Verse 1, praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Verse 12, extol the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. What a scene that must have been. Can you imagine being part of an assembly that was so focused on God, on giving glory to God? You see, here's what I want us to remember today. When God acts for me, he deserves praise from me. When God acts on your behalf, he deserves your praise and your glory. Look at that statement. Say it in your mind. When God acts for me, he should receive praise from me. Do you believe that? Do you practice that? There's so many reasons that we don't do that. There's so many reasons that we withhold our praise to God. Even when we know, we know it's what we should do. Even when we really kind of want to, there's something that holds us back. What is it? What keeps us from praising and acknowledging God for the good that he does in our lives? Well, first of all, I think sometimes it's because we're just self-absorbed. Like we were saying earlier, I have worked hard. I have done these things. This is because of my decisions, my efforts. 
And we want the credit because we've done the work. It's very difficult to see God. It's very difficult to acknowledge God when our eyes are always turned inward. But sometimes we fail to acknowledge God simply because we miss it. We just miss it. We're oblivious. We're not necessarily malicious. We don't have it out for God. We just don't notice. We just don't see God. You know why we don't see him? Because we're not looking for him. And when I don't look for God, I will never see God. If I'm not trying to see what God is doing, then I'll never find what he is doing. And so often we don't glory or give glory to God because we just miss it. We aren't looking. But I think there's another reason. I think sometimes we withhold praise to God because we like to play it safe. We like to be safe. Maybe we rarely give God credit because we never really do anything so big that God would have to be behind it. Maybe we keep God safely in a container on the shelf like a keepsake. And we say to God, God, you take care of the big things like forgiving my sins and getting me into heaven and I'll do everything else. And I can give you credit for those two things, but everything else I'm just not sure because after all, pretty much what's happening in my life, I can explain. Let me remind you about the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 7. Maybe you've heard the story, maybe you haven't. God was leading Gideon and his people into this battle against Midian. But there was a problem. Gideon's army had too many people, too many men to fight. You say, that's a problem? When is it ever a problem to be over-equipped, over-prepared, to have too many people on the battlefield? Well, it was a problem. And so through a series of events, God whittles down the army to 300 men. Why would he do that? Judges chapter 7, verse 2, the Lord says to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, which doesn't make sense, right? Too many men? You mean too few men. No, you have too many. Listen to what he says. Or Israel would boast against me, saying, my own strength has saved me. If we don't bring this to a place that when victory comes, it's not so obvious that God is behind it, people will take credit for it. The odds have to be stacked so far against us that only God could explain. The only explanation would be that God is behind it. I think sometimes we are so safe that we don't need God. But what if we embarked on something so big, so significant, so meaningful, that it would only be successful if God was in fact behind it? What would that look like? What would that be? Being a part of something bigger than ourselves, something that we couldn't explain or do on our own. When I think about God working among us, 
I'm reminded all the time of the hand of God, the acts of God among us. Whether it's mission trips and lives being transformed as people go and share their faith or as people receive that from our mission trips, as they are blessed by people going. As I see our youth and and how they invite friends from school to church with them and they get connected with our youth group and their lives change and they come to Christ and are baptized into Christ. That's God working. When I see so many of our college students in this important time in their lives searching for answers, searching for meaning and purpose and finding it in a community of faith that promotes the will and the word and the ways of God. When I see God comforting those who are grieving among us, giving them hope when anyone in the world without Christ would have no hope. When I see marriages restored, when I see families growing up to love and to serve Christ, God is at work among us. Can you see it? Do you notice? Do you acknowledge it? You see, when a watching world sees us pointing to God, their attention goes from us to where it really needs to be, to God. Their attention is drawn to him. Notice a very important detail back in our text, verse 43. As they celebrate, as they praise God, the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away you see Jerusalem was in fact a city set on a hill and as they gathered to praise God for the success that they had experienced for their sense of identity coming back for their temple being restored for the walls and gates being rebuilt as they celebrated that wonderful success and gave glory to God it wasn't just a sweet sacrifice to the Lord It was a powerful testimony to the world around them. And the same is true for us. When our neighbors, when our co-workers see us and hear us give credit to God, point to God, acknowledge God, give glory to God, eventually they'll be drawn to God. So let me encourage you to draw the eyes of the people around you, to look behind you, to see the God who is working for you. The God who is doing great things in our world. Acts of God are not disasters. They're divine deeds done by God in our world and our lives as a witness to his goodness and glory. So as we close this morning, let me ask you a question. What is God doing in your life? I can't necessarily answer that because I don't know all the things that are going on in your life, but you do. What is God doing in your life? For what do you need to pause and give God the glory and the thanks and the recognition he deserves? What is it? Is it your marriage? Is it your family? 
Is it the way God is working in your heart to remove temptation and sin and offer forgiveness? Is it transformation in your life? Is it how he's using you to reach someone else? Is it decisions that have been made or that will be made in such a way that honor him? What, what is it? What is God doing? Is he using you to impact people at your workplace, people in your family? What is God doing? And will you acknowledge him for it? This morning, if we can help you on that journey, if we can encourage you, if we can pray for you, support you, celebrate with you, give us that opportunity. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and we have a couple of shepherds and their wives that'll be in the parlor right behind me. You can go out any of these doors and make your way there, and they would be happy to encourage you and to pray for you. Or you can come down to the front, and we as a church family will pray for you and encourage you. Maybe today is the day that you're ready to give your life to Christ, to be baptized into Christ, to begin a new life, living in a way that constantly gives him the glory, that gives him the honor. If that's the case, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.